Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, which was an important city in eastern Macedonia. It's located um, in what is modern-day Greece. It was a very important letter. I'm going to tell you more about it in just a minute. But we're going we're gonna to begin with verses 1 through 11. Let me read it for us, and it'll be on the screen as well. Paul writes this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. So this letter is short compared to like, let's say, Romans, uh, uh, you know, another letter from Paul. It's also very light and joyful uh, compared to, example, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, where Paul is... He's mad, (laughs) and he's coming with some heat. Uh, In Acts 16, uh, Luke tells us how Paul and Timothy, and I wish I had more time today to explain who Timothy was, but basically, um, uh, Timothy is Paul's assistant, and and he is like a son to Paul, and they traveled uh, what is that part of Europe and Greece and the Roman Empire uh, together to plant churches and establish the early church. And so Timothy is indispensable to Paul. In Acts, Luke tells us how Paul and Timothy planted this church in the city of Philippi. So they started it uh, from from scratch. And that's what Paul would do is he would move around uh, the Roman Empire and he would would, uh, share his faith and people would be established. And then he would raise up leaders. And after a few years, he would move on to a new city and start another church. So Paul had a vision where a man from Macedonia appeared to him and was asking uh, for help from Paul. And so he began to make his way uh, to Macedonia. We read about this in the book of Acts. And when they got to Philippi, they found there, there was a prayer meeting by a river. There were these women that were gathering together to pray. And one of those ladies was named Lydia. She was a Gentile, but she had faith in the God of the Old Testament. And they were gathering by this river to pray. And Paul, along with Timothy, went and they they began to share the good news of Jesus with these ladies. And Luke tells us in Acts that the Lord opened uh, her heart, Lydia's heart, up to the gospel. And she came to faith that day. And he, he baptized not only her, but her entire household. And what we learn in the book of Acts is that Lydia was a woman of great prominence. She owned a, a business where she sold fine uh, she, uh, thread, purple linen and things like that. And so uh, that represented royalty and wealth. And it was very, a very expensive dye. So she 
was an accomplished lady. She owned her own business. She was either a widow or was single because she was the head of her household. Uh, She and her whole household were baptized. It's one of the reasons we believe young children should be included in in baptism. Not going to overwhelm you with that today, but just a little in your your heart there. Uh, But so Lydia is this person of great prominence, and she played a great role in in this church as well. Later, another man named Silas and Paul were jailed because of their activity and their ministry in the city of Philippi. And it, you might remember from the books of, book of Acts where they were, they were singing praise and hymns powerfully and loud. And then an earthquake uh, shook the building so much that it opened up the cell. And, and then the, the jailer was so fearful uh, that they all the prisoners were going to escape, that he was about to take his own life when Paul said, don't do that. We're all still here. And the jailer came and fell at Paul's feet and said, what must I do to be saved? Because I don't know, if you know anything about Paul, I guarantee you he has been sharing the good news. They have been uh, singing hymns loudly to drive everybody crazy. And then, and then now he's saying, what must I do to know God, to have my sins forgiven? He shares with him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, and you and your household will be saved. And that's exactly what happened. He put his hope in, in Jesus. Paul then went to his house He shared the gospel with his whole family. They were all baptized and they all followed Jesus. And that's how this church in Philippi began with these two primary households, a jailer and uh, someone who uh, of great prominence and Lydia, also a businesswoman who of great prominence. Now, at this time right now that's going on with this letter, what's happening is the Philippian church is very concerned about Paul because they have heard that he is under house arrest, most likely in Rome and most likely around 62 AD. And so they have sent one of their own, a man from their church named Epaphroditus, and they've sent him with gifts and probably some warm clothes and some books and and food, and they send him to bring encouragement. And then Paul is so thankful, he writes a letter to the church in Philippi and asks Epaphroditus to bring it back to them, and that is how we have this letter. And I want us to see two points today, and man, there's just so much we could get into, but today just to uh, saints in service and saints in progress. Saints and servants, not service, servants, and saints in progress. In verses one and two, note this. This is a typical format of how one of Paul's letters in ancient letter writing would go. You introduce yourself, right? And then you address the the people that you're writing. So he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and I'm writing to you guys, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, the overseers, that's the elders, that, that would be the pastors of the church, and the deacons also Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It, you just, I tend to just like swoop over these early verses of Paul in these letters, but there's so much power in this. For example, do you notice that he, he says this about himself? He doesn't say, Paul, an apostle, a man of great power and influence. And by the way, I'm going to write about a third of the New Testament and I'm going to be famous forever. <laughs> no, he says, Paul, a servant. Paul, a doulos, that's the Greek word. Paul, a bondservant or a slave of God. I have given up all of my rights to serve Jesus. And who am I writing to? Well, I'm writing to the saints. 
And when you would normally think of Paul, that's who you would think of. St. Paul, a huge cathedral, a man of great prominence and power. But the way Paul uses the word saint is those who are set apart. And the Greek word for that literally means one who is holy or set apart for some holy purpose. And that's that's true. That's what is indicative, not just of the uber-Christians like Paul. Of course, he's a saint. But that's not what he calls himself, is it? No, he calls himself a servant. But he calls you saints. If he were writing to the church in Chandler, he would say, Chandler, Tempe, Scottsdale, whatever, you know, you saints, I'm, I'm God's slave, but you're holy in Jesus. And so that term isn't just reserved for the ultra spiritual. It's for common folks like you and me that just love God and are trying to walk with him day by day. He calls us saints. How beautiful of Paul. Now, Paul is a servant, a doulos, someone who is, is, is serving God. He writes to the elders and the people in the church, the, the saints of Philippi. And then he says this, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Every single time I think about you, I thank God. And, and again, this is different than like his letters to Corinth. It was like, every time I think of you, I get really angry. <laughs> Read it, you'll see. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your daily partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In our passage, he's thanking God for them and he's praying for them. He's th- he, it's, a, it's, it's a word of thanksgiving for them and who they are. And then he spends this section writing a prayer for them. It's beautiful. And he says this, I thank God every single time I remember you in prayer. He prays for them all the time. And every time he thinks of them, every time he remembers them, every time he prays for them, he has great thanksgiving in his heart for them. And I want to ask you a question. Who in your life is that true of? Who is someone in your life that every time you think of them, you feel an overwhelming thanksgiving? What a gift that person is to you. I mean, can, I, I have, I've got lots of people in my life for, for whom that's true. Every time I think of them, every time I pray for them, every time I remember them, I give thanks to God for them. You know what that means? That person is a gift to me. That person is a blessing to me. That person is a powerful representation of God's goodness in the world to me. And that's what Paul is saying about this church. How beautiful is that? Every time I think of you, church... I'm thankful. Now, I also want you to imagine having someone as significant as the Apostle Paul write that to you. I mean, it's, off, it's awesome and powerful for anybody, but imagine we're talking about Paul. <laughs> to have Paul speak that kind of word into your life would be so powerful, and it must have been so invigorating for them to, to, to hear that Paul loves us so much, the Apostle of Christ. As many of you know, on May 19th, just about a week ago, my uh, beloved mentor, Tim Keller, passed away. Um, I, I, I tweeted about it. I social media about it. And I said one of the things about it was how it's almost embarrassing to me because it's not as if Tim and I were close friends. Uh, his mentorship was from afar, mainly through books and sermons that I listened to and and manuals, and PDFs, and, ju- and people he influenced who influenced me. So it's not like we were best friends, but Tim's passing, which I knew was coming for the last three years because he had pancreatic cancer, it, effect- it affected me more 
than I thought it would. It was really a, a punch in the gut. And on social media and online, there's just been tribute after tribute. But if you don't know who Tim Keller was, it's Dr. Timothy Keller. He planted a church in New York City called Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Uh, he did not seek fame or fortune or, or to be a celebrity, but by serving his local church and by trying to be faithful and write really great books for the church, uh, he became very, very well known and is beloved really around the world. And Tim, uh, Tim in his last days was just out blessing people, man. <laughs> in the last several years, he retired, uh, I believe in 2017 from preaching and leading Redeemer Presbyterian, but his life's focus was still for the church. And there's all these stories going around online of person after person who was blessed by Tim personally. And about 15 months ago, a guy named Chris Hutchinson, he's a, a relatively unknown pastor in our denomination, he got an email with no subject line in it at all. So like, you know, an old person email, like I might write, right? And, uh, and so no subject line. And it was from a guy named Tim Keller. And it said, can I call you? And he's thinking, no way is this legit, right? Somebody, somebody is punking me for sure. And he was like, sure, Tim, give me a call. You know, <laughs> it was Tim Keller. Uh, Chris had just uh, tweeted something saying like, um, Somebody should write an article for the church on this subject. And Tim was calling to say, you're the man. You write it. You should write it. And Chris has also shared uh, publicly about some health issues and health struggles. He's only 55, but his, his physical condition is bad enough that he's, he's thought very much about stepping down from ministry and, and quit serving his church. And Tim shared with him on the phone, I want you to keep pushing on. I believe you have one more big push in you. Don't give up just yet. Keep going. Keep pushing. And, and Chris Hutchinson wrote this. To hear that from someone struggling with stage four pancreatic cancer and still doing all he could for the kingdom of God, well, I won't lie, that for me was a commissioning. How beautiful. Paul is reaching out to us today through God's word and through the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to say this to every saint in this room, God will not stop the work that he has begun in your life. God will not stop the good work he has begun. God always finish, finishes what he has start, starts. He's saying to you, keep going. Don't give up. And I want to talk to us about saints in progress. Saints and servants. Paul did not consider himself a man of power, although he had great influence and great power. He saw himself as a servant, and he lived what he preached. Do not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Talked about Jesus. He emptied himself. Do not think too highly of yourself. He was a servant. But saints in progress... And I, what I want us to see is this. Paul is telling us in this passage that a saint's progress is guaranteed. Have you ever had somebody in your life uh, give you a verse? You know what I mean? That's like Christianese. You know what Christianese is? Like that's insider language, like that only people in the church use. And it's usually weird, like lunch bunch, you know, something like that. So... Giving you a verse is like Christianese of like, hey, I was reading the Bible and praying and I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to share 
this particular verse with you. So I want to share this verse with you. So that's what that is. Well, I was in high school and one of our youth workers uh, gave me a verse as I was graduating from high school. And she said, Scott, I was reading my Bible and praying and I felt this was about you today and I wanted you to have this verse and I want you to own it. And it was, it was Philippians 1 verse 6 and it's this. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That what God has started, he will, he'll finish. He will bring to completion. So at this time in my life, my faith was very new. Uh, and I was feeling overwhelmed about whether my new faith would survive uh, as I went to college and started in, in a university. I felt overwhelmed, like uh, it, God has started this work, this new thing is happening in my life, and will, will I be able to complete it? Will I be able to see it through? Will I give up believing as I'm, you know, surrounded by different ideas and people challenging my faith? And this passage meant so much to me, that the work that God had begun, God would complete. The idea that God wanted me to know that he spoke to another human being to say to me, like, don't give up because God will bring to completion the thing that he's begun in your life was powerful to me and it still is today. I love this passage. I've memorized it. It's one that it's in my heart. Now, how, imagine, or how encouraged would the church in Philippi be when they are being told by the apostle Paul, I have full confidence that God will keep working in your lives and complete the work he has begun. And that's what I want you to hear today too. The truth is, even if you don't agree with this or not, uh, God's the one that started the work in your life, not you. It's offensive, I know. But your faith did not originate with you. Uh, we love God because he first loved us. The Holy Spirit is, is the reason why you are where you are spiritually. It didn't begin with you and it won't end with you. God is the one who's at work in your life. And so he, we can have confidence that he's the one that will bring it to completion. And that's so good. How many of you are, sometimes you don't follow through on everything you say you're going to do? Any procrastinators? Anybody honest enough to be a procrastinator in the room? Okay. Well, this is great news for procrastinators. Like God's going to bring it through. To completion, the work he began will be completed. Once again, big idea, God always finishes what he starts. At times, though, I have to admit, admit for myself that it feels a lot more like spiritual regress than spiritual progress, right? At times, I wonder, have I matured spiritually and emotionally at all? I look back and I think, like, that, that young man in college was fighting just to, to believe it. Am I any different really from that person? And at other times I feel like I'm able to see it. We're all in process and all have so far to go. There's no question. And yet Paul's confidence in our spiritual progress, our sanctification, whatever you want to call it, and our ultimate salvation is not rooted in us alone. Thank God. It is rooted, our confidence and our faith and our hope is rooted in the fact that God began the good work and he will bring it to fruition. Hallelujah. He will complete it. He will preserve us to the end. The next thing I want us to see is this, that the saint's progress is guaranteed and it's relational. The second thing is this, that it's relational. He says this, 
it's right for me to feel this way about you all. He's, he's a Southerner, y'all. <laughs> because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus. He says that he knows that God will complete in them what the Lord began. And then he tells them how much he loves them. I hold you in my heart, he says. I love you with the same type of affection that Jesus has towards you, he says. Paul loves this church like a father loves a son. And all the, all the theologians and commentators I've been reading about the book of Philippians say, this is a letter of friendship or a familial letter. It is, a, it, is, it is the kind of love that a father has for a son and, and that those of us in a family have for one another. And literally as I was writing this sermon, uh, my oldest son, uh, who was in Spain at the time with his wife, FaceTimed me as I'm writing the sermon and he's in Spain on a cliff overlooking the Mediterranean Ocean. And he just wanted me to see the view that he was experiencing and brag a little, you know, <laughs> look where I am, you know. And, and we hung up and I'm writing and it hit me. Jacob holds me in his heart as a son to a father. And he just wanted to share with me what he was experiencing. He wasn't bragging. He wanted to say like, dad, look, look at this amazing experience I'm having. He wanted me to be able to partake of it a little bit. Uh, he holds me in his heart. I hold him in my heart. And, and it was beautiful. And the thing that I want us to see today is this. I don't think we understand how much our spiritual progress is bound up in our relationship with one another. We know that our spiritual progress is bound up in our relationship with Christ. But I think we undervalue and underestimate how much we need one another. You see that. Paul is saying, I hold you in my heart. You're, you all are partakers of grace with me in my imprisonment. And, the, and they're not in prison, but he feels the relationship and the love and the prayers and the connection. We need one another. Church, are you hearing me? We need one another. And so church cannot just be a thing that you just show up for, right? To, to attend a, a service or have some experience and then just go home and, and do your own thing. No, church, we're a family. And if you're not a part of a local church and you've heard and seen all the ugly things that have happened in church over the last several years, will you please forgive us for all the ways we've not been a family? Because the Bible says you're a family. You're not, you're not some program or institution or a place uh, where we have great music and talking, although you know, we have great music and decent talking. But the point is, <laughs> that's not what it's all about. It is, we are, a, we are a family and God's word and God's spirit is what is building us. I think we underestimate how much we need one another and how powerful that is in helping us progress or be sanctified. The third and last thing is that the saint's progress is to be pursued. It begins and ends with grace, of course, but we are to pursue it. He says this in verses nine through 11 in a, the, the form of a prayer it's my prayer, church, that your love may abound, great word, may flourish, may be strengthened, may explode. My, my prayer is that your love first, your love, that your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge 
and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Paul tells us that in order to make progress, and he's praying, he's praying, but in that prayer, he says this, true spiritual progress will happen when you abound in love and truth. It's like Jesus, who's full of grace and truth. And if you, if you only like one of those things, you won't experience spiritual progress. If you only love the truth and you don't have love, you will not progress spiritually. If you only have love and you have no truth, you will not progress spiritually. This growing love must be joined with knowledge, he says, and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. The gospel is the truth. There is such a thing as truth. And truth, the truth is, none of us has kept the truth. And that's the truth. That's the reality. That's what sin is. There's not a person in this room that, that has not rejected God as king in their life and has not built their life apart from God. Every single one of us have done this. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And that's the truth. But the gospel is also love. And in spite of this great rebellion, God in his love and grace did not count our sins against us, but he put it on his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus died an atoning death. He died in place of our death. We deserve the death that Jesus got, but God said, I will not put it on you. I'll put it on my son so that it will never fall on you, ever. What you deserve because of sin, church, will never, ever, ever fall on you because it went on Christ. What would a, a sermon at New Valley be like without a Tim Keller quote, but especially this Sunday? From the meaning of marriage, Tim writes this, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet radical, unconditional love to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent, and the conviction and repentance moves us to cling and rest in God's mercy and grace. We are increasingly in our culture tempted to embrace love without truth, right? Obviously. And simply affirm anything and everything, but ultimately love without truth is empty and it doesn't help and it doesn't change anything or anyone. But on the other hand, far too many Christians have become filled with truth, but in their zeal to approve what is true, have failed to love and be gracious. And that is as great a loss or a worse loss, because it doesn't make sense. Anyone who knows God loves God and loves their neighbor, according to, to John. This is a failure to see how much God has forgiven us in Jesus, to see the infinite cost of his love towards us, to only have truth and no love does not make sense for the church, for a people that have been bought and saved and made right with God by grace. 
So church, as we begin Philippians together and look forward to this summer really digging into this book, never tire of doing good. Never tire of loving what is true and never, never give up on the love of God, which has begun a good work in your life. And know this, the one who began that good work will complete it. Let's pray. Almighty God, grant us today, right now, even right now, that we exist and move and live and have our being in you alone. Lord, through your mercy, strengthen us to love what you love and to love the way that you love and to become a people who abound more and more in what is true and excellent and good. Lord, strengthen us through your spirit so that we may abound more and more in your sacrificial way of life, the way that you give and give and give and serve and are full of grace. Help us to love not only those who are easy for us to love, but those who oppose us, even our enemies. Oh, Lord, give us that strength, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.